rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah. Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land code REFEREERANT. This is a special sit-down with my home basketball association interpreter, the venerable Don Landolfi. Unbeknownst to him, he has been instrumental in much of my success today from laying down strong roots instilled in me previously from my failures. His encouragement after I failed the written test was everything to me. Despite a failure to launch, I had no such sophomore slump. For what was supposed to be was my rookie year, and I made sure I absorbed anything and everything to make me the best I can be. Don is attributed. And so my conversation with Don Landolfi, along with my co-host, Steve Baum. We go over his upbringing and sports, his coaching career, and his long and illustrious officiating career. His second win as an interpreter, and what's next in retirement. Something tells me he'll still be around. At the end, he has a Q&A session fielded by members in the association. I hope you enjoy. Episode 11, now. Welcome to another edition of Referee Rant. I'm Ralph the Ref, and we have a special interpreter's edition of the rant. I'm with my co-host when it comes to the rules, Steve Baum. Say hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome. And we have our special guest, the interpreters for Board 41, Don Landolfi. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Great. Uh, so just, I guess, personally, Don has been very influential in my career. Uh, he was my teacher when I initially started uh, officiating basketball. Um, the last time I was at this house, I was helping him set up um, his computer for a presentation that he was going to send out for class. Unfortunately, after that, I failed the written test and I had to wait another 365 days to take the class again. But as everyone knows, I've came back with a vengeance and I'm one step closer to being a college official. So thank you for everything that you've said, all of the kind words and just keeping me focused. Now, who are you involved with in working towards your college career? I'm a varsity official in the City Catholics. I'm oh, going to be working good, PSAL. Good, I just good. got elevated to varsity on Board 41, so I've, uh, I've been working on my craft. Good. Are you doing a, any junior college game? Not, not yet. yet. Not yet. No, that's the next step. It's the next good step. So huh? Good to Step know. by step. It's, it's good yeah. to know that um, somebody that failed oh, absolutely. had to wait 365 days and think about it and really let that absorb in my mind and still persevere. No, I agree with you. I'm, really, I'm proud of you, too. <laughs> so let's talk about... Go ahead. You want to say something, yeah, Steve? Yeah, also, I want to uh, thank uh, Don also. I love his passion. And I had an incident, too. Like, you failed the, the written test. I tore my Achilles tendon after passing the written test before taking the floor test at Manhasset. I went back there to do two JV games back-to-back. And that's, not, that's part of it, but Don kept in touch with me. He called me up, made sure I was okay, and um, I'll always be grateful for that. I, I, I like that. I like when people care for you. If you do good for me, I try to do better for them. And I went back the next year, and I took it again, and I remember they wanted me to pay for it. And he, 
uh, he waived that. Yeah, so. see, and, and <laughs> I also emailed Don if, if, if I can get the fee waived, and he said no, because no, you failed. Yeah. So I like that. I, you well, know, I, thank well, you. Steve went down. He went down like he was shot. It was sad. I don't think you took three steps. I don't. That's <laughs> but I, I think the fortunate circumstance was that I was able to get to know Steve well because we took the class twice, and that's yeah, why we've right. been long withstanding friends since then, and we've been on this journey together. Mm-hmm. So... When it comes to basketball, uh, baseball, any other sports, uh, just describe what that was like playing growing up. Oh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn was the, the place to grow up. I mean, if you didn't make the sewer by a couple of minutes after three during a week, you weren't, cho- weren't going to be choosing in the stickball game. We had stickball games every afternoon. And then we, from stickball, involved into football, basketball, you name it, we played everything. Uh, kick the cans, triangle ball, slap ball, and it just grew. And then I was, let's say, I was about 15, I think, 14 or 15. And every summer, my responsibility, or my mother made it my responsibility, and my father, we were, went up to my uncle's farm in Hudson, New York had a big apple farm, and we worked on the farm all summer. And then when I started high school in 19, when the hell did I start high school? 54, I graduated in 58, right, college 62. So it was sometime in 54, 53, because in those days when you left a, a parochial grammar school, they had graduations every six months, so I forget exactly where it was. But, um, uh, when I was a freshman, my freshman fall semester, they were having tryouts for baseball. So I tried out for the team. I went there with my street clothes on. I didn't even know it. Some guy, one of my classmates told me. And uh, went to the tryouts. And the next thing I know, Coach Bill Deedy, who was both the varsity basketball coach and the varsity baseball coach, said, well, you made the team. He says, where do you play during the summer? I said, I don't play in the summer. I go work on a farm. He says, well, you got to start playing outside ball. And that's how I got into organized baseball, et cetera, et cetera. Did you play organized basketball when you were growing up? Yes, a little bit more, yeah. We played, um, we used to always go to Booty Junior High between West 5th Street and West 4th Street on Avenue S in Brooklyn. Uh, not, not far from my I used to run there for, with my sweats on from my house to there. And we used to play basketball. And then um, a guy named Joey Tomasino, I think, or Thomas, something like that. He organized the basketball team. And we played in some uh, a league in St. Francis de Chantel, which was like around, somewhere around 14th or 15th Avenue in Brooklyn, I forget. And that's when we started to play organized basketball. Did you end up playing any of those sports in college? I did not make the varsity team at Brooklyn College, but I ended up playing baseball. Yes, I played baseball. All, all. Actually, in those years, you played only three years of varsity because in those days, you, as a freshman, you had to play freshman baseball. Yeah, so I did. And so you were a pretty good ball player. What position did you play? A middle infielder. Yeah, I was decent. After that, did it segue uh, immediately to a coaching career? Yes, I was very fortunate because uh, I had a job at Newtown High School uh, upon graduation. 
in those days, or even today, you know, college students finish early. So we finished, we graduated like maybe the end of May, beginning of um, June. I was the class of 62 out of Brooklyn College. And um, I had was offered a job prior to that because I had a substitute license. We used to take exams. Uh, and I had a substitute license, and I was going to work at... Uh, Newtown High School, which is in Queens, right around, right around that center where uh, I forget all where all the big stores are and whatnot. And um, I worked there all the entire month of June, right up to the last day of school. And unfortunately, on the last day of school, the principal or the chairman, a gentleman named Mr. Ferran, called me in and says, "Don, I'm sorry to tell you, but the position that we had offered you, which was the position of a Mr. Bill Deedy, who was my high school, my first high school baseball coach, and he was retiring, and that's where he taught. Mr. Deedy coached both the varsity basketball team and varsity baseball team at St. Michael's Diocesan High School, but his full-time teaching position was at Newtown High School. So he used to come from Newtown to Brooklyn. As a matter of fact, the basketball team, we used to practice at the St. A's on Bay Parkway in Brooklyn, 64th Street, 65th Street, something like that. And um, so because I didn't have a permanent license, the Board of Education appointed someone with a permanent license to the position that they had offered me. And you can't do nothing about it. That's the, you know, you have to have a permanent license. So I did not have a job. Now, there was no place you can go to find a job because all the schools were closing. So I went back to Brooklyn College a couple of weeks after because they had summer school, and I went to speak to Dr. Nelson Walkie, who was the chairman of the department, and um, I said, Dr. Walkie, uh, you remember the job that I told you what had? Because as a senior, always took a, a class with the chairman of the department, of the physical education department, and, you know, he used to announce job openings. So I had said, if you hear of any jobs, um, I'm available. I said, I, the job that I had is no, was no longer available. He, and he turned around and he said, well, how would you like to teach here? And under my breath, I said, where do I sign? But I said, oh, I would love to, you know. And that was it. I went there in this fall of 62, and I stayed there and. I retired in 2000, and then I taught two classes, two graduate courses, until 2005. The fall of 2005 was my last time teaching at Brooklyn College. Can I ask you, what were you teaching? Physical education, exercise science. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, I was, when I went to Brooklyn College, I wanted to get involved in physical education, and I became a physical education major, and um, that's how it all evolved. And uh, so he offered me a job. I got the job, and now here I am, a college graduate, going to, and one of, one of the assignments was going to be coaching one of the baseball teams, either the freshman or the varsity team. So what the heck did I know about coaching? So I, um, I went to, um, as I stated, what did I know about coaching? Here I was, a middle infielder. Though the last two years at Brooklyn College, I played for an outstanding coach, 
because um, my first college coach, varsity college coach, Tom Harrington, retired. Fine man. And then we got this young coach, a um, gentleman named Jerry Risberg, whose uh, father, ironically, was the shortstop on the uh, Black Sox scandal. But Jerry was an outstanding baseball coach uh, and also a football player, too. And uh, I learned a lot from him. But again, here I was, a middle infielder coming out of college. What the heck did I know about coaching? So I called up Mr. Jack Kaiser at St. John's University because Mr. Kaiser at one time was, was trying to help me get into St. Not get into St. John's, but get me some money to go to St. John's. And unfortunately, my buddy Lou Conaseca took the money for some of his uh, basketball prospects. <laughs> so I ended up going to Brooklyn, which was the best thing that ever happened. I mean, things just fell into place. Uh, believe it or not, when I went to Brooklyn College, the biology lab fee was more than what I had to pay to register. The lab fee was $10 for the semester, while to sign up to go to school to Brooklyn College cost you $5. All right. So when, it, when they raised it to $50 in my senior year, the the students were complaining. I said, are you out of your mind? I mean, look at the education we're getting for $50. But as I said, I went to Mr. Kaiser, and I said, Mr. Kaiser, uh, I'm a middle infielder. What do I know about coaching? He says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to join the American, at that time, it was the American Association of College Baseball Coaches. He said, you're going to join that uh, group. And you're going to come every Thursday night, once a month, at, to St. John's. Mr. Kaiser used to have clinics. And he had scouts, former pro players, and other coaches give lectures. And that's what I did. Matter of fact, I'm a member of the baseball organization over 55 years now. And I was honored. I was inducted into their Hall of Fame. I think it was 2000 or 2007. I forget. I'm a Hall of Fame member of their organization. But that's how I started coaching. I, you know, going to clinics and learning. And it was a learning process, process just as officiating is. You know, you know how many, you've heard me say many times, uh, so you passed the exam, big deal. Now you're going to learn how to officiate. Unfortunately, too many of us think we're officials once we pass the test and we forget about studying and improving and getting better. And that's, that's the sad thing today. You have a different mentality with a lot of people who take the exam. They're just coming in it to make money. They don't want to be really good at the profession of, uh, of officiating. Yeah, and to your point, somebody told me a long time ago, even before I was involved with basketball, I was just doing uh, flag football and softball. Somebody told me, don't worry about making as much money as you can. They said that if you get good... Everyone will call you. That's and right. That really rings true, what you're uh, saying. Absolutely true. And I'll tell you, I started in officiating uh, a, um, a guy named Berger, uh, Marvin Berger. What year was this? Oh, probably my sophomore year at Brooklyn College. Uh, he was, he did all the officiating for the School of, uh, school of General Studies. It, we had a big school of general studies. Actually, it was before that. It was when I was a student. So it was, had to be in 59, 60, when I was a student. Um, um, Marv was in charge of all the SGS intramurals. 
And now you got to understand, in those days, a lot of the students who went to the School of General Studies, that was evening school, were uh, both, uh, most of them were Korean vets, all right? And um, he got me involved in football, eight-man football. Uh, let me tell you, it was, every Saturday it was a war. I mean, you had to learn how to handle these guys, etc. And then that evolved into my doing intramurals for the regular school, both in football and in basketball. Uh, a gentleman named Tubby Raskin, outstanding baseball and tennis player who was a professor at the college, saw me doing this. He says, come on, I want you to do basketball. And I got involved in basketball. And, uh, and that, you know, I did that as an undergraduate. Then when I became a member of the department, um, after my first year of teaching, they gave me the freshman basketball team to coach. That was, see, in those days at Brooklyn College, you weren't hired as a coach. You were hired as a teacher. And if they gave you an assignment as a coach in any sport, you got less teaching hours. Need, needless to say, the time you put in coaching far exceeded the hours you needed to teach the classes. But I loved it. So that's what I did. I was very fortunate. I had a great, I was married a year after I started and my wife was excellent. I mean, I, she, you know, she didn't mind my doing these things, you know. So I started coaching freshman basketball. I did that for three years. Uh, after the second year, we had a new chairman, a Dr. Arthur Weston, and he came to me and he says, I want you to be both the baseball and basketball coach. Because at that time, see, the first year I was freshman coach, and then my second year I became the varsity coach in 64. That was my first year being the varsity coach in 64, baseball. Uh, but I still had basketball. And I said to Dr. Weston, Dr. Weston, please... Give basketball to someone else. I don't want it. And he was amazed because, as we all know, basketball was more of the glamour sport. You know? And I said, I don't want it. I said, I, I took over a baseball program that played 16 games a year. By the time I stopped coaching baseball at Brooklyn College after the 75 season, my baseball program in the spring was anywhere from 25 to 30 games and I had almost as many games in the fall, because right? it was great. Fall baseball in the metropolitan area was the best thing in the world until the NCAA put a stop to that. They limit the number of games, so you can't play that many games anymore in the fall. And he couldn't believe that I didn't want it, but then I told him why. I said, Dr. Weston, I come in beginning of September, and I start fall baseball. I'm doing four baseball, and then October 14th comes, and I have tryouts for freshman basketball. Now we finish the fall baseball season just around the middle of October, and now I'm doing basketball right through December, right through the Christmas holiday, and then I come back January 10th. I start indoor workouts for my baseball team. I'm still, but I still have base, uh, basketball for another month and a half. I said, I never see my family. I really would appreciate it if she just gave me one. 
and he was beautiful. Matter of fact, God bless him, he passed away last year at 92 years old, and I kept in contact up, up until the day he died um, because he, was, he treated me so well. He was very helpful, along with him and Mr. Kaiser were probably two of the individuals who really, other than two professors who helped me out as an undergraduate, but they were the two that helped me most uh, move on with my career, of both of them. Uh, and, I'm yes. sorry, I heard you were pretty tough on the officials. Oh, I was bad. <laughs> I, when, I first, when I was coaching freshman basketball, I didn't realize that when I got into games, I forgot how to coach, and I was just on the officials. And uh, uh, George Fahey from Adelphi College straightened me out. God bless him. He, we played at Adelphi. We got beat, and the whole game yelling at the officials. It's a lot. A lot of the officials that I later on later on worked on worked with on the college level. It was ironic. And and then I went over and I watched him during a varsity game, and he never moved. He just sat there watching, and then when, when he wanted a timeout, he would yell to one of his players, and his timeout was called. And after the game, I went over to him, and I said, Coach, how do you do it sitting there, seeing what's going on? He says, Don, I watched you. He says, you're not coaching. He says, you're yelling at the officials, and you're not seeing what's happening on the court. And that changed me then. I said, you know what? I thought about it, and he was absolutely right. Yeah, I said I was. Well, how old was I? I was uh, 20, 24, maybe 25. I was, you know, I was crazy. I remember you telling us that story. Yeah, oh yeah. In yeah. And it was the truth. Class. And that's when I stopped and I, and I learned that, you know, that, you know, they're doing a job and I got a coach. You know, I don't have to agree on all the calls, but it happens. You know, not that they're wrong every time. That, that's, you know, I was just out of hand. And that's, uh, you know, that, so he, so when Dr. Weston said I only had to coach the uh, baseball team, that was great. And then in, uh, then he took it away from, you know, then after next year, I think it was around 67 or 68, 68, I think, um, I didn't have basketball in the fall. And a, a very outstanding, very good uh, man that you probably all know, Mike D. Tommaso. Mike D. Tommaso was, he did a, an NCAA final, outstanding official. He was a graduate of Brooklyn College. He had played in the early 50s basketball, and he became uh, an outstanding college official. And when he heard I wasn't coaching freshmen anymore, he called me up and he said, Don, why don't you go and become a basketball official? I said, ah. He says, no. He said, when you used to help, because the basketball officials used to go up to Brooklyn College, some of them, Mikey Tommaso, Fitzpatrick, Jimmy Green, my, even, even Mickey Crowley used to go up there to get in shape. And if they were short of ref, they would say, Don, come on, get out there, here's a whistle, blow. And I would, you know, blow a whistle. Later, later they would tell me, hey, that was good, but this is better, this is how you look at getting this position, this call. I said, all right. So then he called me and he says, you, you should become a basketball official. I said, ah, oh, come on, Mike. He says, no, really. He says, and I said, well, I'm moving out to Long Island in the, in, in, in the summer, in June of 68. 
And he, he was my lawyer. He was my lawyer for the closing of the, of the house because Mike was a lawyer. And he says, great. He says, there's a school that they have out there. The gentleman's name is Valvano, Rocky Valvano, the father of Jimmy Valvano. And he said, he offers a course at Seaford High School. So I looked into it, and sure enough, it was a Monday night at 7 o'clock at Seaford High School. Unfortunately, I had a class at that ended at six o'clock on a Monday night in Brooklyn, at Brooklyn College. And I said, will I ever be able to make it? Well, how I made that class every Monday night, I don't know. Uh, I never got a ticket, but I don't think you can do it today with the no. traffic that, that commutes between Brooklyn and out here during the week. But at that time, was it? I made the classes, I passed through written, and I passed the floor test, and all the rest is history. Well, you know. we want to get into that history. Uh -oh. So in the beginning, I guess, obviously, you were doing lower-level games. Uh, yeah, well, started out, passed the exam, went to CYO, and uh, made a lot of money. We were getting $6 a game, $6 a game, doing two games on a Saturday or morning, and sometimes on uh, one game during the week. But every time... Um, you, 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 you know, CYO was CYO, but everyone said try to do as many games as you can. My big uh, break got uh, was in um, in the PSAL in the city. Um, I, I I don't know how I got involved, but right away I was doing varsity games. I was very fortunate. I mean, I maybe I did a couple of JV games. I really don't remember that, but at PSAL. I, all of a sudden, bingo, I was doing a lot of varsity games and because it was easier for me to do games in uh, Brooklyn because teaching at Brooklyn, I could get to Madison, Midwood, Lafayette, Tilden, uh, uh, Erasmus, you know, and really that was the, the heart of basketball in those days. We're, we're talking 69, 70, you know, really. And... Um, that's what I did, the PSAL. I ended up doing a couple of championship games in the garden, uh, one with the late Nick Gaetani. I'll always remember that. And, um, and then uh, part of my teaching assignment at Brooklyn College was to teach an officiating course, which covered uh, many sports. But I put a lot of effort into the basketball because I told uh, my students that this was a great opportunity to not only if you're going to be teachers, but also after school, to earn extra money, but to become uh, officials. And um, two of my students uh, went on to be college uh, officials. Uh, Bob Cronish, who unfortunately died at a, a young age, he was outstanding. And Davey Walker, who was, an outst uh, was a really good baseball player at Brooklyn College, but then he broke his leg, but, so, but he still played. But uh, he went on... And as a matter of fact, I think Davey just stopped officiating college games this year. He got into a, a lot of leagues, uh, Division I, lower-level leagues down south, and he loved it. He did, um, matter of fact, he, he, uh, he, he, he did very well. He was good. It sounds like you were always um, <clears throat> focused on being the best you can be. When did, obviously, PSAL made you change the way you probably viewed officiating from CYO going into those PSAL games? So what I wanted to ask you is, when did you start focusing on elevating after that, of going to college, junior college, well, Division One? I was out here, and I didn't, you know, 
being having been brought up in Brooklyn, I didn't know a lot of the uh, not politics isn't the right word. I didn't know a lot of the procedures, how to get into the college ranks and whatnot. And then someone told me to go into the Rockwell Center League, do the Rockwell Center League if you could, because um, Bill Sarge Senior, uh, Wally Rooney, and Joe DeBonis were all college officials at that time. As a matter of fact, I think Bill might have even gone on to pros already. And he said, if you go down there, they help you, and they can, they, if they think you have um, good qualities, they would, um, you know, recommend you. And so that's what I did. I went down, and um, matter of fact, Brian Mahoney, who ended up being a, a basketball coach on the college level many years ago, matter of fact, I just saw him at Luke Kondosek's birthday party about two weeks ago. We were laughing because Brian used to keep the clock. He was a young high school senior keeping the clock in the Rockwell Center League, you know. And um, so that I did that, and um, Mr. B Joe DeBonis... Um, uh, spoke to a Billy Saar or something to that effect, and they invited me to the CBOA camp. Uh, and basically, it wasn't a camp. It was a um, where you would do college scrimmages uh, where possible. And we were very, I was very fortunate, I would say, because at that time, the when... The Madison Square Garden had the floor down for the Knicks home games. They would invite, or they would allow the college, the Metropolitan College teams to practice or run a scrimmage there. In those days, they were allowed to do scrimmages. You know, you're going back into the late 70s, early 80s. A lot of things change now. And so Mr. DeBonis would call us and say, can you be at the garden for 4 o'clock? St. John's is going to run uh, against Iona. And so sure enough, those of us who were in that group that could make it, we went down there, and we ran the floor, blowing the scrimmages, and Mr. DeBonis would, you know, rate us. And then at the end of the year, he would submit a list. Now, the first year, I didn't make it, uh, but who made it? Larry Lembo, who was in the class, who ended up being an outstanding uh, official. Bill Veltri, these are guys that I associate. So he only two or three, actually it might have been, there were three or four that got in. But one who got in that year, he screwed up. He got in too soon. He got dropped after that year. So the next year, it, again, he said, Don, don't give up, you know. There was only so many. I said, no problem. And I went again. And after that year, I got into the CBOA, the second year I made it. So uh, it was, but the same thing. We used to go down. I mean, that's how I got to know Lucana Seca, Ruel, McDermott from Iona, uh, Norton from uh, Manhattan College, and all these, because they were the basketball coaches of that time, LIU, uh, we had, uh, oh, I can't remember, Piccarello, I mean, we had a lot of different people, and uh, they were hard on you during the scrimmage, but if you did it, you know, they, you know, but you learned from it, you know, it was a great experience, you right. know. And, and, and you keep talking me. about being fortunate, it doesn't sound like you were fortunate more so that you were ready for the opportunity when it well, came to well, you. Well, that, that's true, yeah, but it was something that I wanted, you know, uh, and... 
when the door was open, I took advantage of it, yes. So you, you did lower level college and then just right. discuss your, your Division I um, ascendancy. Uh, we did, well, I got to tell you about the lower level. Lower level was freshman basketball again. And you got into, you did games like uh, Fordham St. John's, uh, uh, St. John's Seton Hall, uh, Manhattan College, Iona. They're freshman teams, and it was um, it was uh, exciting. Matter of fact, I worked games of P.J. Calissimo when he was freshman coach at Fordham, varsity coach at Wagner, and varsity coach at uh, Seton Hall. So the only time I the only level that I didn't work that he was as on is the the professional level. And PJ was an outstanding young man. He was um, very helpful. He was a good man. I remember he is a good man. He's a good man. He, I remember you sharing in the class one day, um, what was your experience in the first big college game you ever did? I don't remember which one was it. I think you were talking about St. John's once, going on the court. Oh, that was, that was on the freshman level. Yeah, okay. yeah I did that. At St. John's, it was Fordham at St. John's, and it was a war. <laughs> and some fan made a nasty remark, and I got all upset. And again, well, two two stories about St. John's. I got a little upset, and um, Brian, who was the freshman coach, said, "Donnie, Donnie, Donnie, relax. It's all right. We got him." And they threw the guy out of the out of the out of the school out of the, the stadium. Or whatever, at a, which is now a Lucana Seca Arena. And then after the game, what's his name came over to me? Uh, Bob Shepard. You know, so for the Yankees? Yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. And he always did the clock, not the clock, he was the announcer at a lot of the St. John's home game. And he said to me, Young man, you're going to be a good official, but he says, Don't be so angry. I said, I don't understand. He said, well, you have the calls, but when you report them, you report them like you're angry at the guy that did it. He says, come over, calm, and report it. And that's true. Matter of fact, later on, when I ended up coaching baseball as an assistant at St. John's, uh, Mr. Shepard also did uh, some of our games uh, that were televised or radio, and we always talked about that. I said, you helped me out tremendously in basketball because you told me that I was, I looked mad at the world when I should calm down and whatnot. So that, that was a good experience. And so let's just talk about your ascendancy to Division One, all uh, the way up to the varsity okay. level of it. In those days, it was completely different than it is today. Uh, you became a member of the ECAC and you got a rating, you got a ranking after so many games that you did, they would, they would, you would be rated. And if there were, uh, so fortunately my ratings were good for whatever reason, people thought I was good. And uh, um, if there were like 10 games and if you were rated within the top 20, you knew you were gonna work that night. You may not know where, but you were gonna work that night because they would just go down the list. Um, Let's say Mickey Crowley was one and Jimmy Green were two. They had the first game. This, these two guys had the second game. And I was rated after a few years within the top 20. So I was doing quite a few games in the metropolitan uh, region because um, that's how it was. 
and then uh, that led to my getting into the Patriot League, I think it's called today, I forget, um, where, um, uh, you know, the Ivy Leagues and, and all that. And then uh, this outstanding uh, official who later became the assigner for the old um, Eastern League with Hofstra, Lehigh, Lafayette, etc. He saw me and he invited me to be one of uh, the officials on his staff, Norm Van Arsdale. He was fantastic uh, because uh, between my ECAC uh, schedule and the other league schedule and then my public school schedule, he used to, and also there was another gentleman who helped tremendously, but he used to say, after you get your college schedule, call me. And that's what I used to do. And then he used to go right down the line. Um, you got a game on this Saturday? No. All right, here, you're going to Lehigh. You got a game on this Wednesday? No, you're going to Hofstra. You got a game here, boom, boom, boom. And he would fill me in. It was, because really, when I first started, there weren't that many public school games I did out in BOCES. I had a very limited schedule. And again, the assigner at that time, he didn't mind. He used to call me the same thing. He says, just give me your open dates and I got games for you. And that's what I used to do. I give him my open dates and he would say, okay, you're going to be here. You're going to be at Uniondale. You're going to be at uh, uh, Roslyn here and whatnot. Good. And the same thing with Jack Kriegsman from the PSAL because he used to give you your schedule almost the beginning of August. And he says, if there are any conflicts with your college schedules, he says, I'll take the games back which was, you know, outstanding because he knew how important the college, he was also a college official. And that's what I said, Jack, I'm going to be at Hofstra here. I'm going to be, he says, no problem. And then he would say, are you free here? I said, yes, all right, here, fill in with this game. And that's how it used to be. I mean, then. today, um, I really don't know how it is other than you have now different league assigners. Yeah. So what I hear is that they, <clears throat> they help each other out. They do. The ACC will say to Big East, look, I need uh, Steve Baum for this game. Can I have him? Yeah, you can have him, but then I need Steve Baum for this game. And that's how they work. But in, when I started for the first four or five years, it was strictly on ratings. And it, it worked out beautifully for me. I now, the ratings were based on <clears throat> the assigner that you were working for, though, right? Oh, it came out of the ECAC office. And I would assume the colleges submitted ratings after every game. And um, we, had, um, we had supervisors that uh, came out and watched you, uh, especially when you, did, when you first started on the, um, not so much the lower level, but when you did like maybe Division three games. They would come out and watch you and see you know, how if you were good and they would rate you, and then next year, if you got uh, a lot, don't forget, in those days, everybody played everything when I started. You know, Division ones <laughs> played Division threes. you know, it was everybody. And then that changed over in time when all the leagues uh, started to form in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, then, then it did not pay for a Division one school to play Brooklyn College. I mean, when I was going to college, St. John's, came in with Alfieri, not, uh, yeah, Alfieri, Side and Ellis and whatnot mm -hmm. and played Brooklyn College. I mean, it wasn't a game after the first 10 minutes, you know, because of, you know, 
St. John's was always a ranked team. But as I said, in those years, everybody played everyone. Would you attribute your being a well-rounded official because you did such a good variety of games, such as PSAL games over here in BOCES, Division One games? So you saw a right. different variety of games and different variety of situations. I think the real learning process started with the PSAL because the PSAL in those years had the best best competition, best players. I mean, I did George Johnson who played mm -hmm. at New Utrecht. I did uh, Mel Davis, he played Billy Schaefer. They played, they played high school balls. And also the Catholic high school games that I did. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking uh, players that went on to the pros that you, you did on the high school level. I mean, it, it were unreal game. You go into boys high in those days. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was a different environment. And um, uh, they had outstanding coaches. I remember uh, Meekins, uh, God bless his soul. He, when I used to walk in there, he used to tell his professors, his students, don't say a word, the professor's here, that's it. <laughs> and I got along well with him, you know, and I was, you know, I never got blackballed from any place. I, I don't ever remember being blackballed from any place. I remember being called to go to places but on a high school and college level because other people wouldn't go. They, were, they wouldn't go be, because, unfortunately, they were afraid of their ratings being affected. I go, I go anywhere. I went anywhere. I didn't care. So uh, all this time when you were developing your style and, and everything, um, when it came to uh, officiating all these games, uh, when did you start developing your affinity for the rules and getting into those Things. I was always interested in the rules. So even when you first started, yeah, up until I, when Rocky Valvano yeah. taught you the, the basics well, of... Well, no, 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 after, not up there. After I passed and whatnot, I, I used to look in that rule book all the time. Because unfortunately, sometimes I would challenge the present interpreter of our board out here because I felt he was wrong in his interpretation as I had heard it from others and from going to the college meetings and whatnot. So I always had that drive to make sure, you know, you didn't want to screw up the rules, especially on a college level. Hey, I went on one year, did Princeton, Yale at Princeton. Holy Jesus, there was a fight and whatnot. Uh, and I went over to explain to uh, Coach Carell, listen, this is what's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And he didn't want to hear. He didn't want to hear. He walked away. And then when I, we did my, this is with two men officiating, when we went in and implemented what we had to do, he went crazy because he wouldn't listen that the guy who was foul was not allowed to shoot his foul shot because he started a fight and I ejected him out of the game. That's it, you're gone. He, this, the other coach had to substitute someone else to shoot because he, he's gone. And he didn't realize, he went crazy. And afterwards he apologized, but that's what I was trying to tell you. But you didn't want to listen, and I ended up teeing them. And then they ended up losing the game because of that. You know, hey, but that was, uh, you know, that was the way. I mean, coach, these are the rules. I don't make them up. So when did it start slowing down for you uh, in terms of officiating? And oh. then how did you segue that into wanting to become the interpreter of your local association? Well, became the interpreter when uh, uh, Frank Vagona, who was helping uh, Jimmy Green. Jimmy Green became the interpreter. Uh, after Valvano, I believe. Yeah, after Valvano, Jimmy Green became the interpreter and it was doing the class. And Jimmy Green is, has always been a professional. And um, 
Um, matter of fact, I succeeded Jimmy Green also on the college level. He was the CBOA executive treasurer secretary, or actually treasurer secretary. And when Jimmy gave it up, I took it over, and I did that for about 25 years. And then now, when Ragona left to move down south, uh, Jimmy asked if anyone would be interested. And I submitted my name, and Jimmy said, great. And I, I think that was around 2000-something. So I became his assistant. And in honesty, I don't remember how many years. Uh, but then finally, Jimmy says, you know, Don, I'm going to give it up. I want you to take it over. And that, that's how it happened. Do you find it a fulfilling position as oh, opposed yeah. to officiating? Um, I miss officiating, don't get me wrong. I, I missed officiating, but I also was smart enough to know that, hey, it, it was time both on the college level when I gave it up and also on the high school level. The college level, uh, you reached the point, uh, I did a couple of NCA regionals, you know, with Division three and twos, and then after that, when you knew you when your schedule was such that you were getting more Division twos and less Division ones, you know, you were going the other way. You know, from being ranked in the top 10, I was then in the top 20, and then in the top 30. And then at that time, uh, uh, my dear friend, um, Tim MacLear, took over as uh, one of the assigners for the ECAC, or the Met CBOA, and we were talking, and I said to uh, he said, Donnie, you know, you're in the middle of the pack now. And I said to him, Timmy, would it be helpful to you if I stop and you bring in some more young officials? He said, yes. I said, good. So let's stop. Instead of you happening to tell me next year or the year after, Donnie, you know, I got to let you go. I said, let me leave. And, he said, and that's what I did. And, um, and I stopped. And then I just, and then that's when I, my eyes opened up. When I started to do more games in the BOCES, how in some places it was very so political and not really um, ability rating, but more politically rating, which I was, you know, I didn't realize, I was naive to that because not being thrown into that 100% when I was officiating right. for so many years. And so to your point, um, I figured that out the reverse way. Because I remember a couple of my first instances doing middle school games. First time I was doing it, I was thinking, I want to get on varsity as fast as I can. So whatever I need to do, if I need to read the rules, if I need to be sharp on my mechanics. So I would ask my partners, how long did it take you to get to varsity? And they went, varsity? I'm not on varsity. Yeah. So that was always interesting to me. Then, I, then when I broke into the Catholics in, in the city, I realized that it was merit-based. All I did was watch. Right. They, they saw me boogie. You know, and I did it in front of a signer, and they said, "We're gonna, we're gonna put you right in." And then I was already thrusted in, you know, right. same similar situation as you, right. into a game that had a lot of smoke. But then I was thinking, when I came back, when I started doing Seaford versus Island Trees, it was it was like night and day, you know. But I still was at the mercy of of uh, right. ratings. Right. It's it's something that, um, as I said, I was naive to out here because not being. A hundred percent involved in doing that number of games out here. Matter of fact, a lot, one time Mickey Crowley called me up. He says a lot of heads are going to be spinning. I said, "Why, Mickey?" And he says, "Because you're going to do the championship game between Hempstead and Freeport or somebody, 
And I said, but Mickey, I, I, he says, in those days, we didn't have to have a number again. He said, Donnie, both officials want you, both coaches want you, so you're on the game. I see, he says, I don't care if head spin. And so I ended up doing the, the championship, I don't know, whatever, the A or double A, whatnot. But um, that's when I, I, I said, geez, you know, there's something strange about this, you know, because I know um, uh, the number of games I didn't do that many because I didn't have that much availability, right. you know. And then I discovered the politics involved in some aspects of it, which uh, I felt, you know, I would always, in other words, we had a raid officials. You know, we did away with that a couple of years ago, maybe even more than a couple of years ago out here. We raided fellow officials. And so if I did a game with Steve, and, you know, Steve was an upcoming official. He had a long way to go yet. But he did a good game, average game. So he got a, I gave him a rating of a 7 or even an 8, all right? And at the end of the year, I would go back to my sheet. Oh, yes, I worked with Steve. I gave him a 7. I worked with Ralph. I gave him an 8. I worked with Jimmy Green. I gave him a 10, etc. And that is what I would submit in. Over the years afterwards, I found out people used to get together and say, look, we all give each of us tens, and then we'll give the other guys seven to seven. And that was the, 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 poor, mm -hmm. the, 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 the poor aspect of fellow official ratings, because if you didn't do it honestly, what, what good was doing it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I was naive to that. I didn't know that. And I found out afterwards, later down the road, you know, uh, maybe because you weren't in a clique. Right. Yeah. My, my problem with it, and I'm not knocking the organization, I'm not knocking anybody, it's a flawed system. I've refed for the last five years, and I've been asked by the coach maybe five, six times, what is your name? Yeah. So then I'm grouped together with my fellow official who might not have done a good game. And so in the coach's perspective now, it wasn't officiated well, so I'm getting a five because he did a five. And I know they have us put our picture yeah. up there, but if they're not going to ask my name, they're not going to take the time out to go and look for my picture. Yeah, well, you, you see, um, my meeting with the, one of the roles as the interpreter for Board 41 is every year I have a meeting with the coaches. And I tell them that, guys, two factors. On a varsity level, you have to vote a rating official, not whether you won or lost. You gotta rate him on his professionalism. Does he know the rules? He's enforcing the rules properly, etc., etc., etc. And you have to tell your JV and junior high they have to do the same thing. Because otherwise, you're complaining about officials. Well, you're gonna get the same officials then. And the young officials give up. I mean, you. In many cases, do we have college officials that in order for them to move up, they got to start doing junior high games. I mean, how could you even ask that? And they look at me. I said, you have to. That's why this year, if you know, we, we have the going out and I'm going out and looking at lower officials uh, that requested a BOCES and I write a valuation up and I send it in. Some people I say they're not ready yet. Others I say this guy could work a varsity game. You know, 
I'm honest, and I tell them the reasons why I think he's not ready, and the other reasons why I think they are. You know, so that's it. But our the rating system holds back a lot of individuals. Mm -hmm. And the other fact is we got too many officials. They say we don't have enough. I think we, we have too many. And we have too many that really don't care about doing it the right way. Yeah, you'll see it while you work with guys. You'll see, you'll know right away between the guy who really wants to do it right or the guy who's coming in there to get the money and run. Right? Do you think that system's ever gonna change? Well, we're trying. I would have to say with the, uh, the last group of uh, presidents and uh, others, we've been, we've been you know, talking to BOCES about making a, a change, you know, trying to uh, get the best uh, 80 or 90 officials doing the varsity games, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I hope, but you know, I don't have control over that. Right, so I guess to your point, what I was saying is that I've, I've been doing varsity in the city already. So I always thought, even coming up to this point, I was thinking, you know, it might never happen to me in Nassau County, but that's okay. That's fine. I'll oh, you don't do varsity in this? I just got elevated this, this year. This year, yeah. yeah this it's, year. It's, it, it, it's not easy. I, 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 the reason I think of it, and I hope I don't offend anyone, is because now you have people doing the assigning, and it's done just by a method and not by looking at the individuals involved. When I was broke in, I had a Jack Kreisman, I had a Mickey Crowley, I had a Joe DeBonis, I had guys who knew you could officiate, and who knew you, and even if you came in, you were the lowest on the, 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 the list, they were going to give you gains because they knew that they could send you. Mickey Crowley, when he was the, um, a signer for the junior college games. Uh, he, f I think, I'm not sure, I think he followed Joe DeBonis. I mean, he would say, are you available Saturday? I would say, and don't forget now, the, the playoffs and whatnot started with baseball. I said, well, I'm, I'm coaching. He says, what time, I'm teaching, I'm indoors. I got indoor practice. I said, what time is your practice over? 11 o'clock, okay, the game won't start until one. Could you make it? Where do, where do I have to go? Westchester Community College, I'll be up there. And he would change the times of games so that I could make the wow. Because I was on the, the coaches, you know. Probably the best, the, the one story that stands out in my, two stories, but the one that really stands out in my mind as far as, you know, saying something about me as an official. Joe DeBonis was the assigner prior to his demise. He was... Um, the assigner for the junior colleges. Um, and uh, he calls me one Monday or Tuesday, he says, what happened? I said, what do you mean, what happened? Boy, the, this guy, Ralph Aiello, I believe his last name was, from Westchester Community College has written you up saying you're racist, etc., etc." I said, really? I said, I gave one of his players a technical. I said, doing the game, but the young man earned it. He says, well, you know, you got another couple of games up there. Do you want to go? I said, of course I want to go. He says, okay. Comes down to the playoffs. Championship game, I get a call. He says, Donnie, are you available? I said, yeah, why? He says, well, you're number one on Ralph's list <laughs> as official. I said, are you kidding me? He says, you're number one. He wants, you know, you're 
on the top of his list along because they were allowed to submit three or four guys. And he wants you on the champ. He would like you on it. I said, okay, I know. He became my best friend, this coach. Wow. Every time I went, Donnie, how are you? The family, good. I'm happy you're here. Bup, 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 bup. Now, who knows what transpired? I never backed down. I kept reffing the way I always reffed. So it's crazy. I mean, it's, uh, you, know, you, don't, you don't know where things will fall as, as, as you do your game. Just be confident in your ability and don't. Don't have a hold a grudge. I mean, just as we don't expect coaches to hold a grudge against us if we gave them a, a technical to, to, you know, in a previous game, likewise, don't you go up there because, you, uh, you know, you, you, you feel he's yelling at you. I mean, Penders yelled at me once when he was at Florida. I said, Coach, I'll listen to you, but I won't listen to him, your assistant. And he looked at me, and he got on his assistant, telling him, don't you pick on the ref. I'm doing it all. That's all. That was the end of it. We never had a problem, you know. But, you know, it, it, it's a strange racket. And I really believe that if you do it the right way by giving you all and knowing the rules, hustle, Tommy Galizzi, coach at CW Post for many years. Passed away three, four years ago, I think. Tommy would only want you to hustle and do the right thing the entire game, whether he was winning by 20 or losing by 20. He did not care. Just ref. And I used to tell the young when I Last, you know, as I was knew my time was going to be out soon at the the college level when I had games, and in those days they became three man games. But prior to that, that Division Two league was the toughest league to officiate with two officials, and then we went to three man. And I used to tell the young guys that I used to work with, listen, whatever you do, just hustle. Don't get, and don't get into a conversation with Coach Galazi. He just wants you to work. And that was, and that's, you know, that's all I could tell them. Work and work the right way. I, when I go out and watch games today, it upsets me when I see officials having to have to talk to the coaches and explain their calls during the game. I say, hey, listen, hey, Coach, I'll get to you later. I'll tell you why. Right now I'm referencing. But not every minute, whoa, 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 what did you do? What? Coach, I'll, we'll talk. You right now. I used to tell coaches, coaches, no offense. You coach, I officiate. I haven't, I haven't criticized you. I've said, on a high school level, coach, I haven't criticized you about your coaching. Later on, you want to talk to me about my officiating, we'll talk about it later. Just, just coach. And they back down. You know, they realize, hey, shit, this guy's not going to take anything from you. And you go. I never gave a warning. This was my warning, my hand up. Coach, I hear, I hear you. The new rule, now you can give a warning. All right, good for the young um, official who, you know, doesn't want to cause problems. All right, give a warning. But by rule, don't let them abuse you. Don't let them take your part. That's not, that's not your role. Like last night, now I just saw on Facebook, just before you came, there was a, the fight. there's a fight in Wine Dance. I'm anxious to find out what happened. Was it what he... I, 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 it appears as if the officials were not involved. The fans. And it was the fans. At so the end of the game. 
or the officials off the floor, etc. See that this is the, what 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 transpired. I mean that's the environment we're in today. I mean parents, every parent thinks their son is going to be a Division One ball player. Every parent thinks every call the referee makes on their son is wrong. Why? Because they don't know the rules. They don't know what's going on. And that's the sad thing. You got today. I feel for you, young officials. You're in a tough environment. You know, because you never know what's going to light the, 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 when the spark is going to ignite. It's sad. It really is sad. Yeah, but I think at the same time, you had your own um, challenges that, that maybe that I don't experience. So I, I'll give you a perfect example. When I get a game, I had a game, Mount St. Michael versus Stepanak, right? Never been to Mount St. Michael, but I could put it on a GPS. I know what time I got to leave, right? right? So I just wanted to talk about what it was like getting those assignments because it sounds like an assigner had uh, like, uh, such a difficult job without um, the internet because oh. now it's before now it's populated automatically who's available who's not available yeah. here it was like kind of like by feel got Donnie on the phone I'm going to give you a specific date you look at your calendar yeah. right and then if you're at Mount St. Michael is he telling you directions if you've never been there or you have to have the presence of mind of figuring it out I had to figure it out how did that go uh, um so, so other refs helped. Uh, Joe DeBonis, when I made the college, gave me a, a great, great suggestion. He said, whenever you go someplace, bring an index card with you and write down the directions mm -hmm. so that you'll have it for the next time. And he was right. I, uh, I got rid of them. I had a whole stack of... Uh, of index cards going up to Sacred Heart, going up to Yale, going to Dartmouth, going to uh, Seton Hall, going to schools in Jersey that I didn't mom it and whatnot. And that's how you learn. Or you would call up an, a fellow official. Uh, hey, we're going to meet here. You know how to get there? Yes, good. Okay, when I get there, I'll follow the directions, you know. But yes, it was different. Sometimes you would call the colleges. Sometimes the ECAC would put out, later on they used to put out directions to all the schools. You know, but that, that came about later on uh, when I, uh, as I was officiating. But you're right, it was difficult. Did, hey. you, did you have any horror stories of almost being late to a game or um, unexpected traffic on the road? I never liked to accept double-headers because of that fear. I never wanted, matter of fact, in all honesty, in all my years of officiating, I only did one double-header, and that was to bail out somebody in the Catholic League. They called me out, up and said, Don, I found out you're doing a game with Tilden or Jefferson. Can you get to McClancy? I remember the school. He said, can you get to McClancy for 7 o'clock? I think Donnie Kent was the coach. I said, look, I'm leaving Brooklyn after a 4 o'clock game. I don't know what time the game is ending. I'll get there. But you let Coach, I didn't know Coach Kent that well at the time. He says, you let Coach Kent know that I'm on my way. And so he called me back to your sign. He called. I spoke to Coach Kent. He says he's heard of you. He knows you're coming. They'll wait for you. And that, that's it. But other than that, I never liked doing double headers because I didn't want to have it in the back of my mind. I got another game out here. I got. I didn't want that on me. I wanted to do the game the right way, 
And I, we said, and when I got there, Coach Kenny said, you all right? I, I'm ready, good, I'm no problem, because I was a hell of a lot younger, a hell of a lot better shape. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that, that, that was me. I, one year, I'll tell you one year, I had, that, and this was the year, the one year, I had 14 games in 13 days, consecutive days, and that was because I had that one doubleheader. I'll never forget, and all varsity games, and, you know. It's a lot of money. I got a question. Go ahead. As we're running down the end of this uh, great interview, great job. I, I'm oh, we're not done. So we have a whole we're slew coming of down questions. To well, the end. well just for you, you could leave. Uh, Ralph and I will. He start. drove me here, so <laughs> I don't <laughs> worry. Just for the <laughs> listeners out here, we definitely have concluded the portion of Don talking about his officiating career. But now, a lot of people in the association, I texted right. them, and I was able to get a lot of questions of they wanted to ask you. Some of them are rules. Some of them are funny, and me and him have questions we want to ask you, too. You want me to ask mine first? Of course. <clears throat> you're coming down to the end. Every year you say you're going to retire, you're not going to retire. I want you to go on forever. I love listening to you. I love, you know, the job you do. What is your future? I think this is it. Okay. I think um, uh, Richie and I spoke recently, and um, Chris and Jeff, who I think are two fine young men who are going to do a very good job. Um, what Richie wants me to do is go to the national meeting again next fall and bring uh, Chris with me. And he says, I'm going to give you the title of uh, interpreter emeritus. <laughs> so you'll be around. And that's it. It's time. It's time for some young blood. Um, as you guys know, the use of computers and whatnot, when I first started... I screwed up a lot of presentations. I don't know if you were members then because I didn't know how to use it well to put it on a big screen. Chris and Jeff know how to do it well. And Jeff, Jeff is um, a good college official. And Chris is an outstanding high school official. And I think both of them will do And they're both interested in the rules, which I think they'll be. And I'll be around. If they need help, I'll help them. But, you know, they're going to do it. So basically, I, I think this is it. I, Jimmy Graham, who I was really, you know, working to replace me, unf not unfortunately, fortunately for Jim, he got the assigning of the Catholic Football League out here, which he loves. Jimmy's an outstanding football official besides basketball official. And uh, he, he was upset. He said, am I hurting you? And I said, of course not. See, Jimmy is like my fourth son. Mm -hmm. Jimmy... Um, coached my oldest son at Chaminade High School as a freshman I remember the story. when Jimmy was only 19 years old. Wow. And so, you know, it's... And it's, they wanted to fire him, I think, and you came to bat and something? No, it was someone else. No, oh, no, 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 but he, he had to, he gave it up because he had other reasons going to college and whatnot. But Sorry, Jimmy, Jimmy. But Jimmy was, an, Jimmy was great. He used to tell a story, uh, uh, a brag one time. He used to say, whenever I called a timeout near the end of the game and we needed a basket to win, I used to make great plans. He, I used to say, give the ball to Landolfi. <laughs> and that was, you know, my, my son had a very good career. All my, sons, yeah, all my sons had good careers at Chaminade. Two in basketball and baseball and one in lacrosse and soccer. So they, they all they did well. So here's a polarizing thing that I deal with personally. Go ahead. Um, one day when I was officiating a flag football game, I didn't have lanyard. 
So I decided that, you know, I wasn't going to have one and I didn't have a finger whistle that day. So I just started developing over time, officiating basketball with no lanyard. Now, it's kind of a polarizing thing. Some people think that it's frowned upon in the college ranks, but then it's accepted in the pro levels. What do you think about not having a lanyard and officiating basketball? We started that way. When I started officiating in 1968, no one used a lanyard. We used to have to learn to blow the whistle, and then it came out of your mouth, and you caught it with your hand as your other hand went up to either stop the clock for a foul or a um, violation. And a matter of fact, some officials, I remember working early in my career with Brad Tracy, who was an outstanding college official. He used to swallow the whistle in the side <laughs> of his mouth. I used to say, how could you do that? He used to blow the whistle, and next thing you know, you saw it was here. I could never do that. Um, so we never did. As a matter of fact, when someone started to use the lanyard, we used to laugh at him. You know, okay, you little, you know, whatnot, whatever we would say. And then all of a sudden it became a, uh, an acceptable thing. Matter of fact, the first time I used the lanyard, I almost killed myself because when I blew the whistle and the whistle came out of my mouth, I grabbed it and I almost choked myself because I wasn't used to it, you know. But, uh, no, that, it, you know, that it just, things just changed over time, you know. Uh, from the big lanyard to now the little string, etc. You know, and some guys, even when the lanyard was accepted, didn't use it. But that was uh, that was the time. So, do you find it interesting that it's kind of phased out and frowned upon? That when it was the origination of well, that's how people it's officiated. Just a change in times, yeah, yeah. That's all. You got it. You got used to it. Mm -hmm. Now, now, just the opposite. If I try to officiate without the lanyard. And I blew the whistle. Next thing, and uh, next thing I knew, the whistle would be on the floor, on the floor, because I wasn't used to my hand coming up to catch it. You know, so it's just a transition. You have any other questions, Steve? Uh, not at the moment. You can go to okay. the. Okay. Uh... All right. So Brian Descala, this oh. is coming from Brian. Brian, what are your thoughts on the current climate and lack of respect for officials, and how he's seen a change over his career as an official? Well, definitely, it's a tremendous change. The people. The parents and the use of videos and cameras has changed everything. And as I said earlier, everyone, everyone now is involved in having someone teach their children how to play the game. Everyone has a professional coach. But that doesn't mean the kid or that your child is going to be really have the ability. The coach who's teaching him is going to fill his head up with, oh, you're outstanding, etc., because he likes receiving that $80, $100 a lesson. But really, they may not be. And the other thing, and the parents are so aggressive, that, that takes away from it. Um, and the way the media writes up, like uh, the, the young man, I won't mention names, that... Uh, he took his son out of school to send him over and played over in Europe, etc., etc. Why? No. Uh, and the AAU teams, I think that has been a detriment because supposedly they select all the good ones and then what happens to the other ones? You know, so I think that uh, I've seen it change 
in my estimation, to the negative. It's not good. I feel for you guys, again, working these games and having to listen to people yell and scream that know nothing about the rules and really how the game is played. So I have another question from Fabian. Uh, uh -oh. Fabian Jarrah. Uh, take me through what do you think has changed uh, the most? What stands out the most in terms of the change? Is it the three-point line? Is it the lanyard? Is it no, the, the parents? Well, I think, uh, as I already spoke to the parents, but definitely the three-point uh, shot has changed the game uh, tremendously because um, it helps the teams that don't have the big bodies if they can shoot from the outside, you know, and whatnot. So that has added to it. Also, what I've seen it change, the kids are bigger and faster. That, that you, whatever, it might be due to training. It has to be due to training. I have a, I have a grandson who's, who's very good in lacrosse, and he goes to a personal trainer because of helping him with his speed and whatnot. So, yeah. Um, the, the athlete is, is better, without a doubt. Do you prefer the way the game is officiated now, or do you miss the way it used to be called back in your day? On, on the college level, I think they allow more to go by than we did when we were. We were a little tighter. It was more, it was a slower game, too and more sets and things of that nature, and not as physically, especially in the key. While today, I think, uh, and, and that comes down now to the high school level. It's become more physical game. And the key is um, uh, how much do you let go and how much you can't let go. Um, uh, you, you watch Uniondale, play, uh, let's say, again, no disrespect to either school, but you, you watch a team like Uniondale with their bodies play a team like Wheatley. I, you know, is, uh, who, what, where, where, where is the boundary? Mm -hmm. I mean, can you penalize one school for being so athletic and physical and, and a lot of times bodies hit, but not illegally, you know, and parents are yelling, but hey, no, there's nothing wrong with that. He's in a vertical position. He's going up, etc. You know, but the other guy who doesn't have the physical strength, he gets knocked to the ground. They think it's a foul. It's not, you know. I got a question. When you see a Wheatley Uniondale, and you know you talk it over with your fellow official, do you go into a, with a mindset that you're going to officiate it differently? I know you're not supposed to, but it's human nature. I don't know if you're going to... You, no, you never say you're going to officiate it differently. You're just going to know, hey, they're going to be more aggressive. Uh, they're going to be um, uh, maybe pressing more. You, play, you go into a Baldwin game. You know Baldwin is going to be pressing 99% of the time. And the only time you're going to call them is when they get an advantage illegally. Otherwise, you can't penalize them because they're uh, aggressive defensively and the other team can't handle the... Uh, 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 the press, right. so Call you know. You but you know, you know. Hey, tonight we're going to run. You're going to have Baldwin against Junior Dale. They both may press. You, we got to be on our toes, and we got to be consistent. Mm -hmm. That's the key: consistent. Don't start calling at the end of the game what you didn't call at the beginning. 
and call at the end of the game what you did call at the beginning. How many guys, you know, at the beginning of the game, oh, that's a foul. then all of a sudden when it comes down, I hate the comment that announcers make, we don't want the officials to determine the game with 10 seconds left. Excuse me, why, the call at the beginning of the game didn't determine the advantage? That's, again, my opinion. So you got to be consistent. I had a one to a coach in middle school say, so how can you make that call at that time? I said, was it the right call? That's it. That's it. <laughs> you, hear the, you hear the announcers say, oh, that was a good or that was a bad call. As you always heard me in the class, there is never a good or bad call. It's so either right, right or, wrong. or wrong. Remember That's that. That's it. That's it. It's either right call or wrong call. And when you blow the whistle, you better know why you blew the whistle. I've mentioned that quite a few times. And I, and I carry that to me <laughs> yeah. ever since. Fabian has two more really good questions. Oh, you spent the good part. <laughs> spent the good part of your career as an interpreter. You've trained many officials currently serving our board, me, uh, him included. You've always given new officials good advice. What would you tell an official who has been doing this for five years plus and has not moved up to varsity? What advice would you give them to help them get noticed and promoted? I would tell them, call me. And let me come out and watch you a couple of times. And one official did that this year. He was, he's been in exactly five years. I won't mention his name. And he called me and he, the same concern. I said, send me a schedule and let me come out and watch you. And afterwards, I was very honest with him. I said, bum, 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 bum. I told him his positives and the negatives. I said, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. But work on these because that may be a reason. What else could you say? Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you're being observed and, and you say the positives right. and the negatives, he took it well, I'm sure. Yes, he did. He thanked me, and I told him, we'll do it again next year. We'll watch. The final question Fabian has, what's a rule that bothers you or you disagree with, a rule that you may consider unnecessary for the game? Well, it's not a rule that I think is unnecessary. It's a rule that I think is necessary. The one that bothers me the most is post-play, where the ball goes into the offensive postman. He Bumps the defensive man back a step. The defensive man comes up again and they bump and the defensive man gets the foul call against him. I don't like that call. I don't think the offensive man should get advantage of pushing or bumping that defensive man. That's my pet peeve call that I've written many times to the rules committee. Why do we allow this? Why is it? that he's allowed to bump and the other guy isn't. If you, if you want to be consistent, first bump should be taken. And you see the officials call it the second time all the time. And that's my pet peeve. And what's their official response when you try to they know, advocate We to will that. consider it. That's why, you know, it's a bureaucratic uh, <laughs> answer. Uh, a fellow varsity official of mine, Tim Rink. Oh, I know, Tim. What will you miss the most now that you're packing it in? And what's your best in-game memory that you have? Packing it in is, uh, eh, well, I'm going to still be around. It's not, um, as I mentioned previously, I do miss blowing a whistle and run. As a matter of fact, if they had three men, I probably would still be doing it because I think I'm in good shape, leg-wise, etc. But um, be honest with you, uh, I felt that I was getting into the late third quarter, fourth quarter with the tough ball games on a two-man level, that I wasn't being fair to the participants, all right? That maybe I was a little late 
getting down a court or beating them down a court. And that was one of the factors. Uh, so I do miss that. Um, what was the best in-game experience that you can remember? Too many to count? I don't remember. The only thing I could... No, I don't remember. Uh, in-game experience. Probably the six overtime. That has to be. That has to be the six overtime with Valley Stream South and Southside. It was... Um, I thought my partner and I did a very good, consistent game. And, I, and afterwards... When I helped Sam Dominic go off the court, <laughs> uh, there was one young man playing for Southside. He gave his heart. He, I don't even think the young man got a break the whole game. He played outstanding. And I went over to him afterwards and I said, you got nothing. Or I might have been on the losing team. Excuse me. I might have been on, I forget who won that game. I don't even know who won that game. But I think it was, on, it was a player from the losing team. I said, you got nothing to be disappointed in. You gave your heart and soul. Because it was a crazy game. Um, Southside was ahead. And then as it came down to the end, Valley Stream South, I believe. It was the school. I think it was. Uh, go look at the, the plaque. I think Valley, Valley Stream South came back. Then we started the first overtime period. Valley Stream went out ahead. And then Southside came back. And that happened every overtime period. The team that was hot at the end of the overtime got hot at the beginning, but then the other team came back until finally in the third and the sixth overtime, somebody muffed the pass and the game was over. <laughs> and that was it. And that and that was probably one of the most enjoyable experiences I had. And I'll tell you what bothered me afterwards, all right? Since it's enjoyable, I'll tell you. What bothered me was afterwards that some officials, when they heard about it, said to me, why didn't you make up a call? Mm. And that burned my you-know-what. And I said, what? These kids were given their all, and you wanted me to make up a call? No way. And that told me something about them as officials, mm. probably, which is wrong, which is wrong. Like, I, as I say to you guys during the game, uh, even during the class, a team is winning by 25 points. Now the coach of the losing team is getting all these other kids into the game. And now you're passing on obvious fouls and whatnot. It's not fair to those kids that just came. Because they may not get into another game all season if they're all close. They're the scrubs. They're the last. And so you're denying them. You're cheating them. That's what you're doing. You're cheating them. And that shouldn't be. Okay, another fellow official, Terry Toybell of cardiac arrest fame. <laughs> How good is the quality of play that you see right now compared to the level that you that when you officiated? I think the quality is poorer. Though this year that some teams got better, but overall over the I thought over the years that it was except for a few powerhouses if you want to say most of the play got poorer. But now I see maybe because um, they're playing more outside ball. Or I don't know. It, this year it looked like a, a lot of schools have improved uh, from that level that I thought. Yes. I would say this. When I first came out here, I thought <laughs> public school was a hell of a lot better in the city than out here. Except for, again, you had your south side, which was very good. You had St. Agnes, which was very good. Um, 
actually you had Roslyn who was a good team, Lawrence was a good team, but they had tough coaches. They had some tough coaches. I think the coaching, you want to talk about something? I think the coaching was better in the old days than it is today. Mm. The coaching had a more appreciation of the game, a better awareness and knowledge of the game, and didn't really hold the officials to the outcome of the game. They knew, you know, I, coaches in those days, if you gave a kid a tee, that kid came out of the game. Mm -hmm. Today you don't see coaches. And some, and some I've seen it officiating, and I'm not going to say where, but I saw it in games where players were coaching the team and not the coaches. Mm -hmm. And that's sad. That is a sad commentary from my experience. Well, I grew up in the city in the 70s, and I played for Bayside High. You had Hilti Shapiro, you probably know him at Jamaica, Marv Kessler at Van Buren, I forget the other name, and these guys and the players, one after another after another. The kids put in more time because for a lot of them, that was their one avenue to make money. Nowadays, the kids, the inner city kids, have more opportunities. So I think that has a lot to do with the game. They don't have to come from practice to the schoolyard to the nice center. They can become doctors, lawyers, right, whatever. So back now, the necessity and the sense of urgency isn't the same. That's what my opinion on it. But interesting, you mentioned those coaches. They were tough coaches. Oh, they were. They would not take anything. And they yelled at you if they thought you, 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 you flubbed on a call. But they controlled their kids. Their kids did not control them. A big difference. Kessler, oh my God, Kessler. Oh, he went on to coach at Delphi. Jimmy Moskowitz at, yeah. uh, he, was he at Jefferson, I think? I mean, he's what, tough. Tough coaches. Oh. Yeah. Have you ever fell on the court or had any type of injury associated with officiating? How did you handle that? Uh, I was doing Fordham Columbia game. And all of a sudden, my hamstring went. Two-man game. I was working with Edgar Katata. God bless his soul. Um, may he rest in peace. And I ran under the stands. And I, I, I had a wrap on it. It was bothering me. So I had put a wrap on it um, before the game. And now running, boom, it really went. And I went under the stands at the old Fordham with Eddie. And I dropped my pants and I took that wrap and I made it so tight and finished the game. You know, that was the only time really that... I, there were other times where my calf got tight uh, in three-man games. And um, what we did was that the guys used to say, okay, Donnie, you stay in the middle position. That, you know, once or twice happened. You, know, you stay, you know, it happens. And you stay in the center position. So that I would, you know, just stay right there, shorter area to run. But that was about, the, the one up at Fordham was the most serious, yeah. When, when somebody's at the twilight of their career, when would you advise them that when it's time to hang up? What are the signs? What are the factors that would influence that mindset? Because that's a, that's, a, that's a tough conversation right. to have. Don't embarrass yourself. You, you know, you yourself know when it is. You know yourself when you can't get up past the division line. You know when you can't beat the kid down from uh, uh, you're in a trail position unless you're cheating so much that you can't beat the kids down the other end. 
I think that is when it's time. I, I went out a couple of years ago and I critiqued a veteran official and he wanted me. And I said, you know, you look slow, you're late, you're, you're not. I said, he took offense to it. I said, then why did you want me to come and observe you? I said, you know, now you, the decision is yours. But basically, you know, I mean, you know, I, hey, when my legs started to hurt more uh, on doing two-man games, I said, you know, maybe it's time. You know, I'm not out there to uh, embarrass. And I was still, I had to be within the, the top 10 on, on the high school level out here because I, I got a, my last year, I still did playoff games. I did a championship game, I think. I don't know, I can't look back. But why would I want to embarrass myself? That's the, the key. Uh, you know, you know. But as I always said, even in the class, I never look into someone's pocketbook wallow. If you, you know, if you need the money, then that's your decision, but. Um, so Steve Tom, another fellow at I varsity. Stevie. <laughs> he always wanted to know, what is your relationship with Mickey Crowley? Well, Mickey, uh, Mickey was a, an, a, a, a college official when I got to know him. Uh, Mickey Crowley worked in the BOCES office. He had um, Jay's job. All right, because uh, um, I think at that time Jerry Loba was the executive director and Mickey Crowley did the assigning. And Mickey Crowley also became, um, over the years, Mickey Crowley uh, did the assigning for the junior college games, as I mentioned earlier. And, and he knew me from the PSAL uh, when I broke into officiating. And... Um, uh, he was uh, he he helped. I mean, he knew uh, uh, he felt that I could officiate. And when it came time went out here and a junior college level, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, he gave me a lot of assignments. He said, "You can, I need you." Good, you, you, boom, and that was it. So base and I worked a lot of games with Mickey on the college level. Mm -hmm. Besides, you know, even though Mickey Mickey was doing top division one, a lot of times. Before Mickey became the assigner of the junior college, uh, we both worked for Joe DeBonis. And so there were a lot of times when Mickey would be coming back from a game somewhere, and Joe would call me. He says, could you pick up a Mickey at the airport because Mickey and you are going up here? I said, yeah. So I used to pick up Mickey, and then we used to drive uh, wherever we had to go, you know, and, uh, and basically that's how Mickey got to know me, and I got to know Mickey. Uh, one of a uh, second-year official, Irving Armand, who just passed the class last Armand, year. Right. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to other mechanics outside of Aibo, why don't you acknowledge it um, at when the rest of the world seems to use those more? The women's college, the NBA, and a lot of the other organizations use. Uh, I, it seems that like that's more universal as opposed to the ones that we use because, on the boys. Because Aibo wants Aibo officials to do it this way. And in order for us to be on the same level field, we, we should know that this is the set of signals and signs, etc., that we should use. Why, or why do we want to confuse each other? Like there was one official uh, who I always used to get on for his two-hand mechanics. Okay, now two-hand mechanics are acceptable. Okay, now we could use them. But prior to that, if you look, uh, he looked as if he was trying to gain attention, be the center of attraction. When no, 
he was doing maybe uh, my CBAA, whatever the pro league is. That's not the, the way to do it. I, as I always said to you, uh, when I used to come in and doing a high school game, especially after the night before I worked a college game, I used to say to my partner in the pregame, okay, what are the high school rules that differ from the college so that I don't call a college rule to embarrass us? And we used to go on over the rules that, that differ. And today there were even more so mm-hmm. that people ask me now, I say, why is it? I said, I'm not, I'm not up on the college rules like I used to be. I said, I'm, I concentrate on the high school federation rules and IBO mechanics. This one's going to be a sticky one. Okay? Oh, Jesus. And this one, he wanted to be left anonymous. He kept it to the end, the sticky ones. <laughs> this is the end of the game. Team A calls a timeout. The ref goes to the table and confirms that both teams are out of timeouts. Um, Prior to calling that timeout or after he called that after timeout? After it. All right, so now we're all dead. All okay, right. so the ref relays the message to each coach that they have... No timeouts. There's no response to either of the coaches. Ten seconds in the game. B inbounds the ball and crosses half court. Team B is screaming for a timeout, almost to the point where it's so loud and noticeable that they have to grant it. Now the ref grants the timeout and issues a technical for an excessive timeout. Table then lets you know that they made a mistake and Team B has one timeout left. How do you adjudicate that? Oh, you gave the technical? You gave the technical because... Through, right. your, through your knowledge, right. you, you, are, you are saying okay. that the table has acknowledged that there's no timeouts. But now, and then after the technical was assessed, you're saying now that they have, they have a timeout. That's easy. But let me, let me correct you on something. I don't believe, I think it's in the rule book or in the mechanics part. And I'm, this is your assignment. You and Steve are going to do this. Steve's going to do it. All right, Steve's going to, you're going to check. I believe in the mechanics it says... The officials do not have to tell the coaches when they have their last timeout. That's correct. It should be coming from their own scorebooks. Mm-hmm. So that's right away, you're, all, you're not involved in that. You could tell them that they took the fourth one, but not the last one. Okay? Now, if, the, if that is a scorer's error, that's not your error right then and there. Mm-hmm. Because that's the, it's beep, beep. As long as you haven't administered anything, you could say, okay, no technical. Now we'll go back to the point of interruption. And if they had the ball, I would say you give them the ball at the point of interruption. But there is, you know, that, that's easy, I think. If, the, if it's like them saying, oh, one and one, and you're about to issue one and one, and they blow the horn and say, no, 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 it's only the sixth foul. Okay, let's go. They get the ball on a throw-in. All right, so the same thing here. Uh, all right, you stopped it, and the point of interruption might be where they were with the ball, and, and, and it put it in there. It's not a, that's not an official's error. That's a, uh, uh, what do you call it? I have a, a question. Scorer's error. Say they give the technical and they shoot it. Correct. Can you correct that error? Yes, if it because falls within the, the proper time, time frame, sure. Right. You, you award and not award. So that's you a take correct the error. You can I, take of the points off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at that point, because now you, you're, you're, you're implementing something that was uh, wrong, yeah. and it's, it's officials correctable error. Yeah. Okay, I have one from uh, Billy Bloom, who's a Billy, Billy Bloom. No, he, was, he was in my class, and why, he was. He was in why, my class. why do a 
officials yell at you in basketball. I love Billy. <laughs> Is your deep love of uh, being an orator to an audience a lifelong thing, or did it develop over time? A deep order of what? As an orator, as, oh, as a person orator. public speaking. I think basically my college uh, teaching uh, it was helpful in my being able to speak to, uh, you know, as an interpreter and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. And being Italian didn't help her. <laughs> right? Okay, so for all intents and purposes, my mentor, Brian Jones, who told oh, me, always her. tells me on the phone that he was your, uh, your uh, his godfather, his Corleone. What advice would you give to a new official starting out on his journey? And what is the most difficult foul to call? I would tell them, number one, know the rules and the proper mechanics. That's important. And definitely, in my estimation today, because of the ability of the players and the speed of one, without a doubt, nah, I, I, don't, uh, well, uh, I, I say block charge. He says walking. I think walk, uh, traveling is easy. Not walking, but traveling is easy in terms of you know the pivot foot. That block charge is the toughest call. You gotta, you gotta officiate the defense and make sure he's not there af after the player. You know, after the player has made his move to go there. I, that's my feeling. Yeah, I think the call. traveling you could you could get if you get the traveling early in the game, you gotta beat. It's just like today, the way the kids palm the balls today. They never did it that way when I first started officiating. But today it is. And what I always do, I tell them straight out, even sometimes in, in the captain's meeting, guys, when you beat a defender by palming the ball, it's going to be called. Or sometimes I'll go behind a player and I say, you beat me on that last one, but if you do that cup over again, I'm going to take you. And he looks at me, and you avoid it because that's that could be the toughest call. Yeah, I that think so. Calming, that today because they all do it. They do it so quick and whatnot. Especially they're going to the basket and then they, they like they they come and the ball comes to rest on their palm and then they cross over. That's wrong because that when that ball presses on the palm, the defensive man is coming up to maybe put a little bit more pressure on, and then he crosses over and beats him. That's a tough call. That's a tough call. His last question was, what is your preparation or rituals uh, when you were getting prepared to start for a game? Make sure I was well-rested, number one, where I could be, number one. Uh, it depends. High school games, what, what is it usually? I usually came from either my home or Brooklyn College and, and got there. I... Always, 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 always. In the college, we had to get there an hour and a half before game time. On a high school level, I always used to get there at least the minimum, the least amount was an hour. Even when I was doing, even two, three, two years ago when I started to do the junior high, I used to get there an hour before the game time. People, what are you doing here? I'd say, I got the game. Nobody, no official shows up. They said, well, I used to come, I used to change. I didn't come dressed like 90% of the junior high officials come. And then I used to, and then I would observe the, the kids warming up, et cetera, et cetera, and sometimes have to wait for my um, partner to show up just before game time, you know, which is wrong. You know, you talk about professionalism. But again, who knows what their responsibilities are work-wise, et cetera. 
uh, when I was on the road uh, with college, you know, try to stop somewhere along the line if it's a long trip, get a little soup into your system, that's all, a little soup, a little water, and that's all, and be ready uh, to run. And then after the game, a lot of times, uh, the guys, we would stop for a, a burger or something, and then the long ride home, you know. Uh, second year official, Kevin Shelley. What are the things that you kept in your game day bag, aside from all of the, the pants and obviously the shoes and, and the refing shirt and a whistle? Anything else outside of that? Nah, maybe a bottle of water or something like that, but nothing really, no. You know, always made sure I had the phone numbers of where I was going, that's for sure, and in case anything happened on the way. If we had a call, you know, and say we're going to be late and things of that nature, but nothing beyond that, no. Another second-year official, Theo Zubikowski. Um, this is probably in light of the meeting on Sunday. Why are the meetings so long? Why? Well, maybe because a lot of the other stuff takes time. But I really think more time should be given to the interpreters, especially today with the use of videos. There are so many videos that I could have shown you guys over the last three years, four years, that I able gave us, and we never had a time. Because a lot of it has to do with the attitude of the people at the meeting, too. They want to get their name and make the meeting and leave. They really don't want to learn anything. And that's the sad commentary by me on officials that they're doing it because they have to be there and not doing it because they want to learn and become better. Okay, another question from a, a fellow varsity official, Jim Zarfandino. If B1 fouls... If B1 fouls A1 at the buzzer, what would he do if it was the end of the game scenario after A is leading by 10 points? If B fouls A1 at the buzzer, what you call would... the foul, mm -hmm. you report the foul, and you don't shoot because it won't have an effect on the outcome of the game. Yeah. Because it's effective right. because right. of the result. Well, well, in that situation, really, you got to make sure the foul isn't one that's really violent and whatnot. Right. You know, but that's it. If that has no effect on the game, you don't shoot it. Uh, Bernard Farragher, who was in our class, uh, at the end of the game, when it has been customary for players to reach and grab another player to foul or stop the clock, what is your fine line to enforce the intentional foul when there is no play on the ball? If the first thing I don't like is when coaches tell them, we're going to foul. And I say, hey, coach, you're telling, and I used to say, coach, you're telling me that's going to be an intentional foul. Oh, no, 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 no. Because basically, if you tell them you're going to foul, it's an intentional foul. But my fine line is if it's a, a nasty foul, if it's a rough foul, I would call it intentional. If the guy is filing it as he's going for the ball and fouls him, all right. But if the, if, if the player has gotten away from him, you know, where he's away and he reaches out to grab his shirt and whatnot, I, that, I would call it. That's me. But that's me. Okay, Claire Canty, who was the second-year official that you saw, that was one of the, the only females in the group on Sunday. Um, what would you tell refs that are trying to improve their overall game when they're just starting out? Try to, uh, try to go in the summer and work some tough leagues, summer leagues, where there are college or high-level high school players. Uh, Tim MacLear, who I mentioned his name, Jerry Keene, who was another official in our organization, uh, the father of Jennifer Keene, who's the athletic director at Wantor High. Uh, I remember her. She was in diapers. And we used to go out to Far Rockaway 
the St. Francis de Chantel, I think, or something like that, and worked the summer leagues there uh, two or three nights a week because they had one league of high school, they had the younger league, then they had a high school league, and then they had the senior league, which were where college players, present and former, would come to play. And that would, that would fine-tune your ability. You, the, the more competitive games that you see and you're able to handle it because there are some nasty people, and they're, and they're male and female male games. Yeah, but but Timmy, myself, Jerry, we only did the, uh, the male games, and we were two men at those times. We, I, don't, I don't think we ever worked three men in that league. They, maybe they do today, or I don't even know if it still exists. But that is where... You went and learned, uh, you know, to improve your, your, your skills. If you could handle those games, you, you could almost handle any games. Of course, again, it was, it was the college level and the better senior high school level. It was really good. Uh, all right, Akborg. It was, uh, if, there's a, if there's a resumption of play procedures after a timeout when it takes too long, uh, when you're trying to tell them to, to, after the timeout, let's say they get their first horn, and you're telling them to come back on it. When do you, when do you tell them it takes too long? And how would you, how would you get them if they're taking longer? What I than... used to do if it was the team that was going to get the ball, I would put it down and start counting, and they would run out quickly, because in five seconds they would lose the ball. If it was the team that was going to beat that defense, I used to just yell. Coach, ball's going down. And I would start to hand the ball. And they would come running out. Because they're supposed to come out. Uh, they're supposed to be ready to play on that second second call. Or the second whistle, the second horn. All right? And th these are things that, you know, you have to have the guts to do it. Because, uh, you know, hey, coach, I'm sorry. That's the rule. You know, because, again, you're taking advantage now, today you got that, you have the rule today that if the defensive team doesn't come out, if they, you, could, you could give them the warning. Hey, coach, that's one of the four warnings. Mm -hmm. Delay. Oh, yeah, he remembers that. You get another one of those, they're going to shoot. So there are things that you can use. You got to use your, that's why if you know the rules, you can implement them. Mm -hmm. Coach, boom. You know, let's say you, you, the defensive team is going to be out there. Now, of course, you don't want to give the ball to the defensive team, to the offensive team, and make them score. I did do it once where they were at this end, and they had to go to full length, and the, the other team was over there. They were closer to where the basket was that they had to defend. I said, Coach, time's in. And I'm standing, and I hand them the ball, and they came running on the court. I remember that specifically at one time. But today... You got that rule. Hey, coach, second horn, you're not ready to play. You got a warning. Put it in the book. Red has another final question. Can a, can a team call timeout before a technical free throw is shot? Can a team call timeout? I think they can. I think they can. I, 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 that's a good question. That yeah. probably happened to him that, during the game. That's a good question. Well, I don't see why not. Why couldn't you? I, I don't see why not. They're using their time It's out, a dead so. ball. Yeah, dead ball. Dead they ball. Can, no yeah. one has control of the yeah. ball. Steve, do you have any final questions that you want to ask Don? This is a, who do you like in the Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, 
I would like to see, believe it or not, I would like to see Brady win another one. Me too. I would like to see him win another one. Me too. Because I think he, he has never done anything really to discredit the profession. I really, you know, I think the comments that the ball player who got away with that illegal hit saying, oh, he's an old man, et cetera, et cetera. I think uncalled for. I think that, you know, but that's, that's the build up, you know, whatever they want to build up for the game. Uh, that guy should have as much uh, professionalism as Brady has. I think. Can't take that away from him. No. Nope. My final question that I wanted to ask you um, personally, because this, this kind of always happens. So you're in the circuit and you do a lot of two man games and then you start going into uh, college camps and you're trying to get picked up and that's for the most part sometimes when newer officials that are trying to get to the next level learn three-man mm-hmm. so they kind of get off balance and off kilter and they realize that they're not proficient and then that's when they learn it and then they have to wait another year what's your what's your advice that you would give an official who is very proficient in two-man and trying to make that leap with three-man but they don't have the opportunities to do three-man good question first thing the new manual this year is fantastic with the um, illustrations and illustrations, the- movement, etc. Study that, study that, and also uh, you can ask. Well, we didn't get a new one this year, but um, probably next year we will. When I say we, I'm saying the interpreters. We have a um, a video on three man mechanics where they show. Matter of fact, before you leave, I'll show you what I wanted to, to show you, but we didn't have the screen Sunday at the thing, where about the, the trail, the original trail, etc. Um, that's you, you, you. There are probably videos out there that you can study, and also go watch three man work. Go watch quite a few three man games. But I will say that now that I'm doing double A games in the city. Um, it's a, lot easy, it, yeah. it's a lot easier for me to see the nuances when you're doing it. Absolutely. But, but Absolutely. obviously, how do you? It, it's hard to make that jump when you're so used to doing two men because it's a different mentality when you're officiating yeah. three men. You got you got to drill that into your brain that this is these are the things you can do and you can't do. Absolutely. But definitely, if you learn the mechanics and the proper movements. Hey, when we first started the three, three man, oh my God, we had. Double leads, uh, triple C's. I mean, guys, they're all. <laughs> and we used to say, Timmy, get ahead. <laughs> you know, it was because we weren't used to it. And then as you, as you did more of it, because we got thrown into it on the college level without, I mean, we had, we had a presentation, but we, if we didn't do any scrimmages before the season, we didn't know what the heck we were doing. So it was like blind leading the blind. Yeah, at that we point. used to jump into the, the to, into the two man mechanic, into the three man mechanics, and, and, and you know, it, hopefully you went to a camp and say, all right, so you, all right, you went to the camp, you do the pregame, tell us what we have to do, you know, or remind us what we had have, have to do because we. Um, we did, you know, we're, we're going to officiate together. We know the, basically on paper what we're supposed to do, but you actually did it, you know, and so, and that used to help, you know, that was a big... I, I also, like, to uh, reiterate what uh, Don said, there is so many videos now on oh, YouTube, yeah. and I yeah. take advantage of that, 
and go into the, the book. Right. You can see it. And then you watch them. I watch a lot of college officials, and yeah. I go to a lot of games. There's not a lot of the, yeah. But the whole thing is, is going out, experiencing it, seeing your mistakes, different ball game, realizing them, yeah. and then learning. Like I started when I was refing. Yeah. The same and thing. Till I went out there. It's like when you drive a car. The minute you get your license, you don't learn until you go a red light, get hit, this and that, and then learning from it. What I used to do is try to grab in the beginning one or two things that I did wrong and try to improve on. Not like 50 things, because no, that would be too mind-boggling. Like keeping my eye on from the lead, focused in the paint, I know, right. the area there. Not looking up to the basket, I'd do that one day. Now I do, when there's a dead ball or I'm administering a free throw, say I'm the, the lead, I look at the table, the clock, and the official. Yeah. That's it. That's something that I've been for the last two years. Because yeah. the ball is shot, and I'm not looking at the clock, and then he starts it errantly. How many seconds are on it? Uh, so those are little things in the beginning. Sure. Grab one or two clock things. Clock management. Yeah. Sure. But the point that, another point you're making, you got to also realize that today, the college three man differs than Niagara's three man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Movement, positioning, when do you do the switches? Uh, Responsibilities, cetera. primary and secondary. Right. Right. A lot of differences. You, right. you know, so you, when you go from a high school game and then into a college game in your situation, you have to re remember that, realize that. And, you know, and that's why it bothers me when the official crew, ah, we don't need a pregame. B.S. You need a pregame on every level, your high school level, your college level, so you get your mind focused on what level you're doing. You just can't go in there jumping from doing Baldwin Uniondale and doing St. John's Georgetown. I don't care who you are. Mm. You gotta sit down and get your mind set on where you're at and whatnot. Well, Don, this has been excellent. Awesome. This has been almost two hours. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Thank you for thinking of me and having me. No, I, I hope you had fun doing this. It, it was something different, that's for sure. Cool. <laughs> Thank you so much, both and, you and Steve, and good luck to both of you. I mean, you're a young official. I, I, I'm going to watch you. I'm an old official. And you're an old, you'll be all right. You're, you guys are all right. But again, as you say, go out and do it the right way. That's all. Okay, so for our interpreter emeritus, Don Landolfi, and my... <laughs> Don, I want to thank you again. I love your enthusiasm. I like your heart. And when I hurt myself, you called me up, and I'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. You're welcome, big guy. We're shaking hands. Yeah. <laughs> for my co-host, Steve Baum, I'm Ralph the Ref. Thank you, Don. Ralph the Ref, that's an interesting okay. name. <laughs> the Rant, we're signing out.